tonight, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, and tonight we come after almost a year uh, in this book on Wednesday nights, we come to the end of First Corinthians. Uh, just for information, and I, I've mentioned it a couple of times, next Wednesday I will be gone. Uh, Brother Dan Williams will handle the service, and uh, I'll be just, I'm, it's just me, Leafy will, will be here, I'm gone Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're back Sunday the 22nd. And then we're gone again the 29th. We have another family wedding that we will be attending. I hope that one goes a little better. Um, when we went to the last family wedding, that was the weekend in Michigan. That was the weekend that the Cornhuskers played the Michigan Wolverines. And uh, <clears throat> I have one brother-in-law in particular who is still a little bit irritated that in 1994, Nebraska and Michigan shared the national title. And so... It wasn't, hey, Ken, how are you doing? It was, hey, what's the score of the Huskers game? Which we were getting massacred, so they, were, they, they love to talk about that. So, so I'm hoping that this trip is, <clears throat> we're not playing anybody, we're, in, we're not playing like Michigan State next that weekend, are we? Uh, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> enough about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll just kind of turn our attention to the segments as we bring this uh, study of this book to a conclusion. Father, we thank you always for your word and pray that we would take it to heart. Um, <clears throat> you do not speak idly, but you intend that your people would give good attention to your word. And we are your church in our city, your people called to be saints. And we pray that we would live to that high ideal. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we come this evening to the end of our study in 1 Corinthians. What to us is 1 Corinthians is actually at least the second letter that Paul had written to them. Uh, the first letter that he had written was not divinely inspired. <clears throat> and uh, he had, of course, planted this church. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And he had made a whirlwind visit because he was in much conflict with this church. And he is now writing this letter. And then, of course, will be at least his third letter to them and possibly his fourth, 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> realistically, from our standpoint, right, we have reached the end of a letter. <clears throat> we have reached the end of a letter. And... Uh, <clears throat> So we're kind of compelled to deal with it as such. It is, it is the end of the letter. It is making some conclusions. It is uh, making some personal greetings. Um, <clears throat> and so we will deal with the passage in that light. That's not the main body of doctrine. Paul is not, he's not really correcting anything. He's not introducing anything new. Um, there are certainly some references to things that he had previously discussed but it is a conclusion, a concluding letter following the very common format of its day. We're, so our portion this evening is verses 13 through 24, and that is the concluding section, and we will divide those verses into, well, we won't divide them. I think that they, they kind of normally divide into three different 
areas of subject. So let's begin by reading 13, 14, 15, and 16. This is the first portion that we will look at. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that he is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, we could call instructions. What we have here are a variety of kind of bullet point, the kind of things that you might say in closing, or really the way you might say things in closing, the way you might give some kind of rapid-fire concluding instructions. Without being dogmatic about this, because we don't really know, but I think the context and the remainder of the body of the letter is helpful in this, This church, the church of God at Corinth, is presently without a pastor. It doesn't appear that it has a pastor on site. And it's it's possible that this man, Stephanus, is working as the pastor. But as we will see next, he is not presently at Corinth. So Corinth is kind of absent, it appears, something that is critical to the life of any assembly. And and one of the reasons that I say that is we know from chapter 16 and verse number 12 that Apollos will not come. Apollos has said, I'm not coming to Corinth. So Apollos is not there. We know from 16.8 that Paul is not there. He is in Ephesus. We know from 16.10 that Timothy is en route, but he is not there. And men like Stephanus, 16, 17, are absent. They are not present. That doesn't render what Paul says unimportant to churches that have pastors. But they are helpful to churches who find themselves in times of transition. Basically, they are to stay the course. And so again, these instructions come to them in kind of bullet point form. Watch. The idea is to be attentive. The New Testament commands us to be attentive for the Lord's return. The Lord's coming is prominent in the New Testament epistles. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. Be on watch. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 5.8, that we are to be on guard, to be on watch for the intrusion of Satan who goes about as a roaring lion looking opportunistically for prey. Acts 20.31 tells us that we are to be attentive and watchful about false doctrine and false teachers, both bad teaching and those who would teach it. So the command to be attentive, to watch, is just that, folks. I mean, a person who is assigned guard duty 
is supposed to be attentive to anything that is out of place, to anything that is threatening to the well-being of what they are guarding. And I would just point out that this doesn't come out of left field, that 1 Corinthians contains a lengthy list of errors, of false beliefs and false practices that the Corinthians have fallen prey to. And it requires, folks, that we be, not just I be attentive, part of the pastoral responsibility is to be on guard for false doctrine and false teaching. It is part of the calling of the minister. But if, the minis- if there is no minister, if I, if I keeled over right now, you would still be required in your own right to be attentive, to be on guard, to be on watch. Back to verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. I would call your attention back to 1 Corinthians 15.1. You need not turn to it. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And again, this doesn't come out of left field, folks, because we are under relentless pressure to abandon the faith. We are under relentless pressure to abandon the faith. There is I mean, we are witnessing it in our day. We have been witnessing it since the time of creation of man the onslaught of false teaching the encouragement to alter cardinal core doctrines stand fast take your place and be unmovable quit you like men an expression peculiar to our King James Bibles And what it really means is to grow up, to be a man. And and Paul could write that, folks, in a time and place in which nobody was offended when you said to somebody, you know what, you need to grow up and be a man. Today, that's probably highly offensive to, to many segments of society. But it is a distinctly masculine expression. It is a distinctly masculine concept It is is an expression that can actually be used to describe one's physical bravery in battle. Quit you like men. Quit you like men. Most likely here, since Paul is stating it to the church, it doesn't really have the idea of masculinity. Paul's already addressed the distinctions between boys and girls extensively in 1 Corinthians 11. But the idea of maturity... Don't be children. And he's already talked to them about that when he got into the matter of spiritual gifts. Don't be childish. Don't be childlike about many things. Grow up. Be mature. Take responsibility. Take accountability. Recognize your... Take ownership would be the way that we would put it. Take ownership of who you are and what you do. And by the way, if I can just make this notation, don't make God your scapegoat 
for your bad decisions. Well, I, I know it might be a bad decision, but it's what the Lord wants. The Lord has never endorsed a bad decision one time in, in all of eternity. <clears throat> and I would just remind you that Paul began the book by rebuking the Corinthians for their immaturity, their carnality. That they were viewing the entirety of Christ, both, both the Christian message and the Christian practice, they were viewing it in incredibly worldly terms. So, what do you need to do? You need to grow up. You need to grow up. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Three other times that expression is used in the New Testament, be strong. And in every one of those, it is connected with God's strength, the strength that is given by God's Spirit. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians, for instance, Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. So I don't think that Paul is encouraging us to be strong in our own strength, in our own intellectual strength or physical strength or emotional strength, but strong in the Lord's strength. Verse number 14, let all your things be done in charity. I don't think we need to say anything else about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So these instructions, folks, and we haven't, of course, finished them. These instructions are all flowing out of things that Paul has been addressing and dealing with throughout the body of the letter. They are, they are not random concluding comments. They are tied to the text of the letter. Verses 15 and 16, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is of the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. All right, so the, the summary is that these people are to place themselves in submission to those who have placed themselves in submission to God's service. And I would again, folks, tie this back to 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. And then I would advance that thought to what is the recurring problem of bad leadership in the church that Paul deals with in 2 Corinthians. Men who are serving them own selves. Men who are attempting to make their own gain through managing the flock or leading the flock. But it is legitimate for these people. And again, I think that this is one of the indicators that this is a church that doesn't have a pastor on site that they are instructed to place themselves in submission to those like Stephanus, like that household. And I don't know if that name is familiar to you. If you look at verse 15, you know the house of Stephanus, that he is the firstfruits of Achaia. This is the man that Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians 1.16 when Paul was talking about baptism. He said, I don't know, I don't know who I baptized, but I baptized the household of Stephanus. And so he was one of the very earliest believers in there. 
And so you are to place yourself under authority who have placed themselves in ministry to God's service. And, and that's one of the reasons, folks, that we need to take just a minute and talk about that word addicted. Because addiction to us has all of its own meaning, doesn't it? An addiction is a physical or emotional enslavement that you cannot break. And that is just simply not the word being used here. The word actually could be translated set or placed. In Matthew 28.16, it is translated by the word appointed. They have appointed themselves to the ministry of the saints. In Luke 7.8, the word is translated with the word set. They have set themselves as ministers. In Acts 13.48, it is translated with the word ordained. As many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. They have ordained themselves to the ministry of the saints. And in Acts 15.2, it is translated with the word determined. So in other words, this is not some kind of a... Any, I mean, I'm not saying there's any, not any motion to it. I'm just saying that these are not people who are enslaved and are going, we would really like to break this stronghold of service, but we don't know how. These are people who have handed themselves over. They have determined that this is what they will do, and they are involved in service to the state, to the saints. Which again, folks, is Paul touching upon something. Right? These people, this, this was a reflection of their carnality, their obsession with big leaders, big people, celebrity kinds of ministers, these super apostles of 2 Corinthians 11. They had, they had the wrong value system in place for who they would follow. And what they're supposed to be doing are following those who are following the Lord. That's what Paul said, by the way, to them. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I also follow Christ. Not just follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. So these are, again, kind of rapid fire, bullet point, get it out there quickly, just a couple of word comments. But they are all reflections of things that Paul has already been dealing with them about. Not just random collections of thoughts. I got to say something to get out of this letter. What can I say? I'll use the tried and true, you know, like we sometimes pray. Leave guide and direct. The old tried and true. Let's move on to the second segment in the conclusion of the book. Verses 17 and 18. Verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. Instructions. 17 and 18, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Thanksgiving, instruction, and thanksgiving. Paul is glad for the per- personal ministry of these three men, who, by the way, are found only in the book of 1 Corinthians. We don't know anything about these men. And in fact, with the exception of 116, 
where the baptism of Stephanus is mentioned, this is the only place in the book that they are mentioned. So we have another one of those situations, folks, in which Paul is writing to people about people that they all know, but we don't. And we don't need to get all upset about that. We don't need to know who those people are to understand the spirit that Paul brings to the instruction. He is grateful. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus. And I want to, we need to talk about the last part of verse number 17 so that we do not misunderstand what Paul is saying. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Now, it, it almost reads, if we're not careful, like Paul is giving to them a mild rebuke. I should have had something from you, and if it hadn't been for these men, I wouldn't have gotten it from you. But that is not really what is going on. Lacking of your part could easily have been translated, lacking of yours. Lacking of yours. And what Paul is probably pointing out is that he is glad for this representative group of men from the church at Corinth. They kind of stand in proxy to the entirety of the body. And again, we want to remember, folks, there's, there's a lot of tension, particularly, but not exclusively, on the part of the Corinthians towards Paul. They're kind of mad at him. And not only are they kind of mad at him, they are dismissive of him. We talked about that. They're dismissive of many things about Paul. His, his physical stature, the, the way he preached, the way he conducted himself, the fact that he said he was going to show up and he didn't show up. And while Paul is very adamant that their conduct must become in line with that that Christ expects, he nevertheless has a tremendous affection for these people. So I'm glad. I am glad to see these representatives of the church at Corinth. And these are probably the men who are going to take this actual letter back to the church and have it read. Paul is probably going to hand them his handwritten copy or whoever it was that hand wrote the copy of 1 Corinthians and send it back with these men where they will take it back and read it. And so these men are a blessing. Verse number 18, they have refreshed my spirit because they're with me and they have refreshed your spirit when they were with you because these are the people, the kind of people who have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They've been a blessing to the people of the Lord. Therefore, acknowledge them that are such. So there is instruction, 13 through 16. There's thanksgiving, 17 and 18. There's greeting, verses 19 through 24. All the brethren, I'm sorry, verse number 19. The churches of Asia salute you. And Paul is in Ephesus, and Ephesus is in Asia, what we would call Asia Minor. More technically, what is modern-day Turkey. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you. These were people that were instrumental in the work. Acts 18.1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth. 
and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And they stayed with him when Paul leaves the church at Corinth a year and a half later, Acts 18.18, they go with him. And we find them with Paul in Ephesus, Acts 18.26. So these are people that are faithful ministers that are beloved to Paul and to the church at Corinth. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. We will talk about house churches in the not terribly distant future. Verse number 20, all the brethren greet you. All the brethren greet you. All the fellow believers from the church at Ephesus greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. Verse 21, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. It was his custom, evidently, and we, we speculate that his eyes were bad and that may have had absolutely nothing to do with it. That he dictated letters, that somebody else recorded those letters, and that Paul signed those letters. And so the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand, adding his own personal greeting, and here it is. <clears throat> If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. You notice, folks, that verse number 22 presents an inspired dichotomy. Every one of us here, folks, is in one of two places. We're in one of two. You are in one of two positions, as am I. You either love the Lord or you don't. You either love the Lord or you don't. Now, right? those who don't love the Lord, don't love the Lord. And to them, anathema, cursing. And to those that do love the Lord, well, he's coming. And you probably know or have a note that there's a whole lot of discussion about the exact meaning of the word maranatha. I would point out this, folks. Not all of us that love the Lord love the Lord equally you would almost never find anybody who loves the Lord who says they love the Lord as they ought to love the Lord. But that doesn't undo the intensity of the text. There are only two types of people in the world, those that love the Lord and those that don't. There are only two outcomes for people. They will receive God gladly or they will suffer his cursing. Anathema or Maranatha. It is one or the other. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that is then the end of the book. And Paul has concluded the letter. And that will be our stopping point then for this. Again, as I mentioned, I will not be here next Wednesday. Brother Dan will be. And then the week after that, we will be on to another short book in the Bible. All right, if you want to take your prayer bulletin, are there, is there anything that you need to add or update with reference to the prayer bulletin? We good? All right, then let's
go to the Lord this evening and we'll spend a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for the church at Corinth, for those dear saints that we will someday see. Uh, We are thankful for the letter that you wrote to them that is written also to us, that we would receive it and we would strive to have a deeper, greater, more expansive love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray this, Father, for all of your churches all around the world. We pray, Father, that many souls would be saved in our country and in other countries, that you would work in men's hearts to show them their need of a Savior, that you would send to them those with the gospel message to know that Christ is that Savior. Pray that you do this. We pray your merciful help upon our nation. How evil we have become. How greatly we celebrate that which you hate. And we pray that we, your people, would carefully examine our own lives and conduct. And we pray that you would be merciful. And not even for our sake, but for yours, for the greatness of your name. Father, we are thankful that we can come and bring our petitions to you. Our heavy burdens, our fears, our guilt. That our sins can be forgiven when they are confessed. That our hearts can be encouraged through your word and your spirit. That our bodies can be healed by your mighty power. And we pray for those who are ill that you would give to them great relief. And above all, Father, we pray that we would be faithful to you and that your Son would come and get us quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.